the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I noticed something about our flag. And by our flag, I mean the flag of the United States of America. I don't know why it jumped into my head over the weekend, but I had seen uh, various flags being waved at various events. I mean, we see that a lot. Seems like it happens a lot more these days with everything that's going on around the world. You know, uh, and seeing the flags on uh, various Twitter feeds, the Israel flag, the Palestine flag, the Ukraine flag. Then, of course, there's the Canadian flag. Those and just about every other flag are pretty simple. It's Most of them are one logo or symbol or whatever you want to call it and a combination of colors. And look at the Canadian flag, for example. It's, all it is is a maple leaf. Uh, but our flag is much busier. And I started thinking that the people in charge now who uh, love big government and are annoyed by people who want to return power to the states should take a closer look. The flag itself is a national symbol, of course, but um, there is no national symbol, really, on the flag. And it's made busier because of all those stars they had to squeeze in. And then the 13 stripes. They're for the original states or colonies that became states. So it's a really good symbol for people who have forgotten about I don't know, the Tenth Amendment, or the people who hate the uh, the Electoral College. The federal government is not represented anywhere on our flag because the federal government isn't supposed to be as important as those pesky little stars, 50 of them. I don't know why it's never occurred to me before. Maybe I'm beating an obvious dead horse here, but it's just something that I never really gave much thought to before. I mean, look at the flag for Nazi Germany. It's a swastika. In the Soviet Union, just a hammer and a sickle. One symbol for everybody. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. When we come back, we have the author of a book called Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Immigration Crisis in uh, New York, uh, I'm sorry, in U.S. history. And in our second half hour, just in case you weren't aware of what a rat hole New York City has become, stick around. Well, Joe Biden has been mumbling about doing something about the border the last few days. Might have something to do with his poll numbers being in the toilet and the election getting closer. So now what? Well, Todd Benzman is a senior fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies and the author of Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Immigration Crisis in U.S. History. And he joins us now. Todd, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Great to be here. Thank you. So uh, what do you think Joe has up his sleeve? Or is it all talk? Well, we have already seen and reported at the Center for Immigration Studies that the administration has somehow strong-armed Mexico's president into a medieval crackdown all over Mexico on immigrants, where they have been rounding up tens of thousands, especially across from Texas, and sending them on planes and buses 1,500 miles to the south to its southern provinces, uh, bulldozing migrant camps and digging anti-pedestrian trenches 
uh, with their army, and they are out there really uh, cleaning things up. And this was at Joe Biden's behest to lower the numbers that have been crossing. Remember, December, we were looking at, you know, 10,000, 12,000, and even 14,000 days. Now it's down to 5,000 and 6,000 a day, which is still catastrophic. The administration apparently wants to get those numbers down even further. Uh, It could have done what it did with Mexico three years ago, and it could have done whatever it's contemplating now three years ago. This is clearly a political maneuver, uh, and it's probably not being carried out by the administration so much as the campaign. Yeah, well, I don't. How, who knows how much is actually being carried out by the president himself? That's that's another issue. Um, what did he do to unleash what we're dealing with now? The main thing he did, especially in the beginning, remember we had the pandemic era Title Forty Two, which required a hundred percent pushbacks of anybody who showed up at the border that Border Patrol caught on the day that Biden entered office. He opened massive uh, exemptions in Title 42 for families, uh, uh, pregnant women, and unaccompanied minors, and also for immigrants from countries that are really far away in the Middle East and India and China, et cetera. So that, that's what started it. It began that day with those demographics. And then as Title 42 Uh, went away in May of last year, we now have about 100% of everybody reaching that border who could reach that border uh, being allowed in to stay, just like um, the the Title 42 period. So, So really what you have now is the definition of an open border, the very definition of it. Almost everybody, one way or another through these kind of CBP-1 cell phone programs that they put up or expanding the refugee program down in South America and and then just crossing illegally one way or another or running uh, where there's no border patrol, which is most of the border these days, uh, you're going to get in. You're almost guaranteed to get in, and that's why we have what we have. There's no deportation to speak of, and there's no detention because... Uh, this administration regards those as inhumane and cruel, even though they're the law. But um, is this something that could only be done if people had not been paying attention? And I, when I say people, if if not for the conservative media, uh, how much of this was even known by the American people and by anybody? Almost, almost none of it for the first two years, the administration denied publicly, repeatedly, that there was anything strange going on at all. They said that this was a secure border. The border was secure, even though record millions of people were pouring in. Like, and I mean, when I say record, I mean, in the history of the United States, by far, we have never seen numbers like these. But there's a complexity to immigration that's Uh, The general public uh, finds difficult to understand readily, and the administration has fully taken advantage of that kind of broad-based ignorance by just lying about what's going on. And it kind of the lies stick because it's kind of hard to understand. You have to 
listen to somebody like me or some of my colleagues or, you know, read, read a book or two to kind of get it. But this one really is kind of simple. If you're not detaining and deporting and following the law, then you have invited a mass migration. And that's what we did. We, we have, like I said, probably close to 100% of everybody crossing being let in to stay with almost no deportations from the interior anymore. That is a recipe for what you see happening down there. Now, you have the Mexico initiative. The media still has not really reported that. Uh, this is a, a stunning turn of events, uh, and, and that the the, Mex- the Mexican media is covering intensively. But the U.S. media really hasn't been down there. I, I've been down there. I've been watching it happen, interviewing the soldiers. I've written all kinds of stuff about it, but it's not really getting that wide, widely picked up. And now, whatever the Biden administration is planning to do next on the domestic front. Uh, will be very interesting uh, to see. He'll probably try to get some kind of political credit for it. But the damage is done. We have almost uh, 8 million people living in the country, definitely north of 6 million, who crossed that border in 36 months. What, sorry, what, what would the um, – what? how could that be justified? Could anybody make a case for this is a good thing? <laughs> Well, the administration, the advisors, and the political appointees are all on the record from before they came in, and even some of them have been interviewed since they came into the administration. And those people believe that deportation and law following is cruel and inhumane, that these laws are something like the Jim Crow laws of the 1950s, that they're just simply immoral, and that the only moral thing to do is to just ignore these laws, to dismantle them by indifference, and to let as many people who want to come in to come in. It's an ideology on the very far left of the political spectrum. Normal Democrats or, you know, recent Democrats in, of the last, uh, you know, 10 years would never, ever have accepted ideas like this. But in 2020, they did. And I write a full chapter about this. Chapter four of my book, Overrun, is all about this and who these people are and how they came to power and what their ideas are. And when uh, Tucker Carlson got uh, got a lot of heat when he talked about the replacement theory, which has been out there, uh, and you were a racist if you suggest that, is that 100% legitimate? Well, I, I, don't, uh, I don't personally subscribe to the replacement theory about this. That okay. kind of imparts a lot of uh, credit on like kind of puppet masters or some, somewhere. Yeah. I think it's much more simple that most of the, the people in Biden White House power come from the migrant advocacy industrial complex, which is what I call it in my book. They are not your normal think tank kind of people. They are people that worked for nonprofits and follow the ideology that I've just described. And they are the architects of this thing. And that means the more people, foreign nationals that come through have to be handled by these NGOs, these non-governmental organizations, which are receiving 
hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, really, in grants, government grants and contracts, both south of the border and north of the border. And I think it's just the the same old story that Eisenhower once warned us about, you know, the industrial military industrial complex is the it's a self-licking ice cream cone. They're getting rich. They're getting filthy rich. They're building their endowments. They're they're upping their uh, executive salaries and all of those you know wonderful benefits that come from just getting stinking filthy rich. Yeah, uh, and the they're nonprofits, they, right? <laughs> right. And the day that 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 the that the people stop coming is the day that the money spigot shuts off. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I don't think it's replacement theory. I think it's that the good old fashioned story of money. Well. Is this something that could this be something that only started since Joe Biden showed up uh, or was it going on under Obama and did it stop under Trump? This began on the hour after inauguration. Okay, it literally began on that day. They were lined up on the other side of the border by the tens of thousands. They had congregated. There was a Mexico passed a law that required their detention centers to be emptied. Just after our election, they emptied those detention centers 10 days before Trump left office and they all flooded to the border. And then Biden opened up those Title 42 exemptions and it was on that day, that very day. Uh, Within a month, we had already hit the, the national record. Within three months, we were beyond anything even close to the last national record. The first year we broke the the record, 1.7 million apprehensions. The second year, 2.5 million. The third year, 3 million. And this, God knows what it's going to be this year. The point is, is that if you just look at any kind of flow chart, you can see that there had been rises in, in past administrations, but the rises in this administration are like three and four and five times bigger. These are giant balloon rises you can just see it in the charts exactly when it started that's amazing we're talking to todd bensman he's a senior national security fellow at the center for immigration studies and this book is overrun how joe biden unleashed the greatest border crisis in u.s history that's amazing this law in mexico passed by the created by the president of mexico two days after joe biden was inaugurated he knew something didn't he after the election, and then oh, wow. they set they set a, a timer on this law so that it didn't take effect for ah, sixty days. Okay. I interviewed Trump's ambassador in Mexico, who t- described hitting the roof. They kept this whole thing a big secret. They passed it in secrecy. Uh, never told the Trump administration that they had passed this thing, and he just hit the roof. But it was too late to do anything about it because by that point, the Trump administration was out of time. So are the Biden is, is the are the people in the Biden administration up there cackling and rubbing their hands together saying ah, it worked this is exactly what we wanted or would oh they be God, surprised yes. by this? this? Is, Go ahead. No, this is a it's a dream. It's a dream come true for the far left people that they brought in. There were moderate Democrats that you know people that we know like senior advisors who tried hard to reverse what was happening uh, ahead of the midterm elections because they were afraid that it would, you know, that they would, they would get damaged politically in the House and Senate. 
races, but they, there was a war fought in the White House between the moderates and progressives, and the progressives ultimately won because the chief progressive is the head of DHS, who comes from the NGO uh, Hyas. He was an a executive board member of Hyas which is now getting filthy rich on all of this, I should say. Um, but th- th- this, is, this is something that everybody in the White House is well aware of, especially the campaign managers. Wow. And you, you... this is the top polling, one of the, the apex issues of the 2024 presidential campaign, as you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, is uh, what could they do... Um, Aside from making a couple of speeches, uh, what and there's now word that uh, Joe Biden is uh, planning on heading to the border. Finally, what could he possibly say or do that's going to change anything? Well, the president has always had it fully within his authority to 100 percent hermetically seal that border at any time. Uh, remember, Trump had Title 42. Before that, he had something called Remain in Mexico. These yeah. are pushbacks. Um, Joe Biden has the Immigration and Nationality Act, Section 212F, 212F, Google it. Uh, I won't bore your, um, your listeners with a description of that, but ultimately it, it just allows a president to return 100% of everybody that they catch to Mexico. Uh, so he could have done this at any time that he wanted. Trump did it. He used Title 42 and remained in Mexico. There were some other um, reasons why he did that, those particular ones. But remain in Mexico is viable. It's been supported all the way up to the Supreme Court. He can use it right now. Uh, this thing could be ended immediately, really. I mean, just immediately. Well, be, it might be a good idea for the for the Republicans to make sure that everybody knows that, that it could be ended immediately. Uh, I got about a minute. Well, Go ahead. But, okay, well, you know, that could have done, been, I mean, that that's the, the, the Senate bill was killed, uh, was ridiculous because the president was negotiating with a power that he has always had. He kept saying, give me the power to do what I need to do. Yeah. Give me the legislation. But. He doesn't need any legislation. He just needs to use what he's got. Uh, Finishing up here with Todd Bensman. His book is Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. I have about a minute left, uh, Todd. What happens if uh, Joe Biden or whoever replaces him between now and August uh, and the Democrats get four more years? Well, I think that we'll, after the election, when he's a lame duck president, that he'll feel no compunction or compulsion uh, to even pretend to shut this thing down. He'll open the spigots wide again, reopen those spigots wide. And, you know, we've already had probably 6 million at least come through, maybe as many as eight. Uh, By then, maybe it'll be something on the order of, you know, 18 or 20 million by the time those four years are up. And I, I think that the immigration and nationalization act the INA uh, will probably go the way of the federal marijuana law, which is that nobody pays any attention to it at all, because we'll have years of precedent for just ignoring it. Pretty scary stuff, Todd. Everybody should check out your book, Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Thanks for coming on.
Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, that's Todd Bensman. We'll be right back. Well, in our last segment, we uh, we talked about what a mess the border is and what it continues to be and what it really will become if uh, the Democrats get four more years. Um, here in uh, Pittsburgh, we don't get anywhere close to uh, what they are seeing in other cities, especially uh, New York City. Um, and it's, I'm sure you've seen the news reports about what's going on there, but if you, where do you hear what is actually going on there? And that's why we have, uh, Nicole Gelinas on the show right now. She's, uh, with the, with City Journal. You can find her stuff at cityjournal.org. She also had a, a piece up, uh, a few days ago, uh, at the New York Post. And the headline is, Inside Mayor Adams Migrant, Migrant Debit Card Boondoggle. No bid bank will hand out thousands to border crossers. Uh, there's a lot in that headline, Nicole. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Good afternoon, John. Thanks for having me on. So it is a boondoggle. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is we don't know what's going on from day to day. You know, we have these, the, the mayor, since he declared the migrant crisis nearly two years ago in the late spring of 2022, and we keep signing these no-bid emergency contracts, even though, by definition, an emergency can't go on for two years. And here's this latest no-bid emergency contract with this uh, debit card company, uh, Mobility Capital Finance, or Mocafi, where, according to the contract, Mocafi will hand out debit cards that could be up to $10,000 for any one migrant, including to children under the age of 18. Uh, these cards, they, you know, they, they say migrants are supposed to sign an affidavit saying that they're only going to spend the money on or, or, or the money on the cards on groceries, diapers, baby food and, and supplies. But the cards themselves have full MasterCard functionality. They can be used, as the contract says, on anything that you can use your MasterCard to buy. And this is not, you know, to, to, there are many problems with this, but even if one assumes that it's the city's job to give an unlimited and still growing number of migrants three meals a day, you don't do it through a no-bid co contract with an inexperienced financial firm that has never done something like this before. The city would just buy these basic grocery items and baby items in bulk and let the migrants go in and pick out what they need on every given week at a warehouse to give the migrants debit cards to buy diapers at convenience stores in the middle of Manhattan, the most expensive prices in the world. It's just absolutely absurd. Yeah. Well, um, they, 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 the idea was for these, for these people to be able to get this stuff. And then, uh, did I see that they, they were wasting a lot of money on food because the migrants weren't that happy with the food they were getting? Right. I mean, the reason the mayor signed this no bid contract with the financial firm is to fix the problems he created with his earlier no bid contract with this, this old COVID company holdover, you know, this, this company that just popped up during COVID claimed to be an expert in medical, uh, fields and now claims to be an expert in serving migrants. So they, they give the migrants food every day, you know, three meals a day at the shelters. 
Some of the food is moldy. Some is expired. You could fix that problem by refusing to pay the vendor for food that doesn't meet the terms of the contract. You know, this is just basic contract management. You don't need to solve the problem by creating a much bigger problem. I mean, again, you know, whether you agree or disagree that we should be taking on this responsibility for an unknown number of migrants, feeding people is not a hard thing. The school system feeds a million people a day. Airlines feed people. Hospitals feed people. Jails feed people. You don't have to hand out unaccountable debit cards to get the job of feeding people done. Yeah, and um, I just, anybody hearing this, or when you see this on the news and you hear that these uh, migrants, illegal immigrants, are getting credit cards, debit cards handed to them, what what's they can't prove that they're citizens. How do they prove that they're not citizens and, well, and are eligible for the know, money? That's, a, that's actually a very interesting question because the contract says no one's going to do ID checks or verification checks. So this company just gives the city blank debit cards. You know, your 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 debit card has your name on it. If a vendor wonders if you are who you say you are, they can ask for your ID. These are just debit cards with nobody's name on them. They just say cardholder on them. So they can be stolen. Uh, you know, a migrant that can, female migrant can be vulnerable to other migrants in that hotel knowing she just got this card with $1,000 on it yesterday. She's got the card on her person. And they can be transferred among people with no uh, verification. You know, you could have gang members collecting these cards and then handing them out to the people that they favor. You could have city employees handing them out to the migrants that they they favor. Uh, you could have city employees reserving some of the cards for themselves. I mean, you don't just hand out cards like this with no identity yeah. or verification check. No, but is is if I go up there and I figure out a way to get a card, is my name on it? No. What's all? I mean, so, so what, like you just what you just said there is pretty pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, you may as well just give people cash. I mean, you remember yeah. in the Afghanistan and Iraq War, the U.S. military just brought over, you know, truckloads of cash to hand out to people. I mean, you would have you 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 would have just as many problems with handing out cash as you do on these cards. You know, if you can't. If you don't like the food they're giving you, give them twenty bucks a day. I mean, you you pretty much accomplish the same thing. It just it's just that this no name vendor that the mayor met on the campaign trail wouldn't be getting millions and dollars in fees if the city just gave out cash. But if <laughs> this is just you mentioned that that the government workers involved with handing these out. How hard would it be to do one for you, one for me? Put what, just put a credit card. I keep saying credit card, a debit card in your pocket. Well, that's with nobody's what name is during, on. Yeah, I mean that's what happened during COVID when the city reserved blocks at hotel rooms that people were supposed to use if you had COVID and you're quarantining from your family. You could go to the city and ask for a free hotel room, but city employees just kept some of those rooms and had parties in the rooms. They actually rented out the rooms on Airbnb and other states, and and there was fraud in that. And it's obviously much harder to steal a hotel room than it is to sort of steal a debit card. You know, of course, I'm not saying city employees and contractors are full of thieves, but when there are not normal 
protections and controls against fraud, people are tempted to engage in fraud. And this is, you know, and, and another thing is, you know, this signed under emergency provisions, the contract was signed in December and they still haven't given out a dollar, you know, two months later. That's good in a way, but it also calls into question how much of an emergency is it? I mean, you've got a contract that's now two months old and they can't even seem to get it going. We're talking to Nicole Gelinas. She's a senior fellow and a contributing editor at City Journal, also a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Uh, her original uh, piece was at the New York And then uh, I guess it was today, uh, Nicole, that you came out with a little bit of an update on this, that uh, the New York Times got a hold of the story that you wrote and and the the news that you broke, and uh, they kind of put their own little twist on it. Right. I mean, if you only read the Times, which a lot of New Yorkers do, you know, they subscribe to the Times, they read it cover to cover, and they think that they've gotten a good handle on the day's news. And that is not the case with this article. I mean, the article relied on unverified statements from City Hall rather than relying on the the documents themselves and the contracts where City Hall is saying, you know, don't worry we're not going to give migrants $10,000. We're only going to give a family of four $15,000 for the year. So that doesn't work out to $10,000 a person. We're going to make them sign an affidavit that says they're going to only use it on food. So the Times just sort of says that the problem is, is me in, in, uh, in incorrectly reporting that the, the city's going to be giving out $10,000. I mean, it's a, a kind of a bizarre, uh, a Kafka-esque uh, loop that they put you in that they say you're wrong for quoting directly from the documents when they're just quoting from people's verbal assurances. And those people have a real stake in minimizing the scope of the situation. But the New York Times took your story and um, they, they said you were reporting incorrectly. Right, exactly, and, and, and there's no, you know, you can you can look at the the contract documents. You know, people can decide for themselves. Uh, you know, it says in black and white that the the, the, the contract allows up to ten thousand dollars to be put on those cards. Now, of course, up to ten thousand dollars could be no money, or it could be ten thousand dollars. But that flexibility is in the contract on purpose. If they wanted to only give themselves the flexibility to give people $5,000 for the sake of argument. That's what the contract would have said. Yeah, and, and as you point out in your original story, the, the, you, you, you asked, raised the question, they say it's only going to be $50 million, but it's going to be more than that. But what happens when this money runs out? They, they, they um, use all the money uh, given to them on the debit card. They're not going to let them starve in the streets, are they? Right. I mean, that's the problem, because when you start a government benefits program, which this is, it's going to be very difficult to end it. I mean, we did welfare reform, you know, 30 years ago. That was difficult to do in a very, in a very different environment. So when we've got 70,000 migrants right now staying in city shelters, many of them hotel rooms, the city projects it's going to end up with 90,000 migrants staying in city hotel rooms and shelter by later this year. Uh, that city doesn't project that that number will go down. There's no exit strategy. You have to pay all of these, not only pay for their shelter, but under the contract for shelter, you have to pay for three meals a day. 
uh, indefinitely. I mean, that, that costs a lot of money. I mean, you, you are, you are talking potentially billions of dollars. And once you've started getting family of four used to being able to draw down more than a thousand dollars a month on these cards, are you going to go and say, oops, we're going to take this away this week because the $50 million ran out? No, they're, they're going to be putting another $50 million into it. And, the city's reaction has has been well. I, I guess the New York Times story, basically uh, the, w- refuting what you had written, took the the city's word for it and said that you had it all wrong. Is that is that what the New York Times is going with? Yeah, I mean that is a fair enough analysis. You know, I I asked for the document through the Freedom of Information request. I read the document very carefully, asked a few people, you know, off the record to go over it and make sure it said what I what it says. Went through a rigorous editorial process. Uh, I asked City Hall and the, the city agency for comment before the article came out. They never answered me. I mean, they had hours during the business day plus another th- three days over a weekend to give answers if they had, had wanted to do. Uh, and then after the articles come out, they just sort of call someone at the time, say, ah, you know, this is all wrong, and they just kind of run with that. And so um, I, it's just I can't even imagine – what a fiasco it is in New York City, what it's like there. Um, are, are well, people, what it's like, ahead. I mean, if you get away from the financial issues, obviously financial issues are important, but yeah. just on a day-to-day basis in Midtown Manhattan, I mean, I both live and work in Midtown, so I'm here all the time. You know, the public safety and order situation has really deteriorated, and, and this is a mayor who came in two and a half years ago saying he's going to fix public order and safety. So you've got major hotel in the middle of Manhattan, just steps away from Grand Central where, where all these commuters come through. There are illegal mopeds all over the sidewalks in the street around this hotel now because the migrants have got a hold of these mopeds, even though, A, they're not supposed to have any money, and B, the mopeds are illegal in the <laughs> city. And there's there's graffiti on the back of the building. There's people uh, playing loud music at night outside. There's you know uh, uh, low uh, mer- uh, low level uh, supposedly low level crimes like shoplifting. You've had uh, many of these uh, uh, the small groups of migrants get together and go and steal thousands of dollars of goods from a store. You know Macy's is one that's been hit. They took a car out to New Jersey and did some shoplifting there. Now, again, no one's saying that these are all bad people, uh, but it just takes a few to be put into an environment where you can tell really quickly the laws are not being enforced. And so this is really harming the city's recovery. Yeah, and you wrote, the headline says uh, that that you wrote about a boondoggle, and then you have the New York Times kind of correcting your story. And as you said... Lots of people in New York read nothing but the New York Times and the and the other New York media, I should say, and the national media. They happen to they they tend to really like to read the New York Times and go with whatever they say. So, right, yeah, and you know, and the broader issues, you know, they minimize the border crisis itself. You right. read those articles right. a couple months ago. Oh, Biden fixed the border crisis. There's not going to be any more problems since they uh, they, they rescinded 
Title 42. They went to the border on a day when they had it under control on purpose. Say, oh, there's no one walking over the border. Well, now we've got record numbers of of people and yeah. the city's uh, projection of 90,000 migrants in city shelter may end up being too low. Yeah, well, I'm out of time, Nicole. People can find your original piece at the New York Post or at city-journal.org, and then you have the a response to the New York Times taking your piece and running with it and then, well, doing what the New York Times does and turning it into a propaganda piece for the government up there. So I hope everybody checks it out, and I thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. Likewise. Bye. Okay, that's uh, Nicole Gelinas, and again, you can check her out at uh, city-journal.org. I'll be right back. Well, the Pittsburgh Zoo is closed. Uh, the story on the uh, at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, they've had some deaths there, um, and um, it says that the Pittsburgh Zoo and aquarium staff endure trying time amid three animal deaths, and a lot of people are upset. And I can understand that they take care of these animals, and uh, I'm a big animal guy. I especially uh, I'm a dog guy, and I have two dogs, and and I I uh, I well I I, always, I I shouldn't say it, but I. I kind of like dogs better than I like people, but that's just me. I mean, don't hold me to that. But um, but I'm looking at this, and and uh, and they're 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 offering um, grief counseling to these people at the zoo and everything. I I, I mean that's it seems kind of ridiculous. Uh, but here's the thing for me: I, I can understand. Have you been taking care of an elephant since it was a baby and it's two years old, which is one of the animals that died? A two-year-old elephant, a calf named Sunni died on February 15th after a sudden and brief battle with a disease. Um, here's my problem. I, I, here's what I what gives me grief and makes me feel bad. A two-year-old, two-year-old elephant living in a zoo, okay? When are we going to get over the whole idea of zoos? I know you get to go and look at the animals, and it's great for the kitties and all that, and they can, they can uh, go down, they can go out there to the zoo in Highland Park and, Look at animals and see them up close and personal, and and uh, you can say, "Hey, I saw a gorilla at the zoo," but it's you're putting animals in cages, and if the people really felt sorry for the animals, the people who work for the zoo, I don't know, maybe they'd be doing something that would eventually uh, result in the end of them working there because there's no more zoo. When I see these animals in the zoo, I, I will never go to a zoo again. I don't want to see. I don't want to see a tiger walking around, pacing back and forth in a cage, or a polar bear, or whatever they have them down there in the little pond with the rocks and all that, sitting there all day long. Let them go. Then you don't have to worry about them dying in captivity because they won't be in captivity. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.